Sound Words, Christian Magazine, Volumes 11-20, republished by Irving Risch, host of Down-to-Earth but Heavenly-Minded Podcast. Practical Reflections from the Life of Abraham. Genesis Chapter 14. In Genesis Chapter 14, which is now before us for our prayerful and attentive consideration, we find the man of faith as the one who can overcome the world. A feature in which Abraham stands out in marked contrast to Lot. Following the movements of Abraham in this chapter, we are impressed with the complete restoration which had been effected in the experience of the man of faith, he was not only delivered out of Egypt, but brought back, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, chapter 13 verses 3 and 4. Complete restoration can only be reached on the principle that the point of departure is the place of recovery. Nothing can satisfy the heart of God, with regard to restoration of a true child of God. Who has declined in his spiritual condition and lost the sense of communion, but his being entirely restored, through grace, to his former character and measure of communion. Listen to what God says, through his inspired penman, the prophet Isaiah, if thou wilt return, O Israel. Return unto me. It is very significant that when God is recounting to his earthly people the wonderful way in which he had led them forth from the land of bondage, he says, I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself, and it was to himself they were to return, if they desired full restoration to the enjoyment of their earthly blessings. When the leper was brought back, it was to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, when the prodigal returned, he was given a place at the table with his father, and consequent upon Peter's restoration. He can press home upon Israel their terrible guilt, saying, Ye denied the Holy One, and the just. Who is this that so speaks? Is this the one to whom his Lord had said, Before the cock crow twice, Thou shalt deny me thrice? Yes, none other. But in the full liberty of a restoration, indicated in the words of him who was denied, when once thou art restored, confirm thy brethren. It can surely be deduced from the instances cited that all God's gracious dealings with us in seasons of spiritual decline and lack of moral stability is in view of complete restoration to full and unbroken communion, and in the light of this, are we not reminded of that exhortation in the epistle to the Galatians, brethren, if even a man be taken in some fault, ye who are spiritual restore such an one, in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. May we ever seek to act in the spirit of grace, on the line of true restoration. We now turn to this most instructive and exercising chapter to see in Abraham one who not only overcomes the world in its hostile character, but also in its patronizing character. How sharp and decisive is the contrast between Abraham, the overcomer, and Lot, who is always being overcome by one influence after another. I am not aware of one incident in his tragic history in which he appears as an overcomer. Egypt had a large and prominent place in his heart, and then the well-watered plain, because it was like Egypt, then Sodom, and then Zoar. He had always some influence in his heart which was not of God. Lot, ever true to his name, never showed his true colors as a saint, and the consequence of this is to drift into association with the world, and thereby lose the joy of the Lord's approval. And the power to be an overcomer. In view of overcoming, much depends on where we live. We know where Abraham dwelt, and in verse 12 the Spirit very significantly says of Lot, for he dwelt in Sodom. Equally significant is the word concerning Abraham the Hebrew. And he dwelt by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Eschol, and the brother of Anna, and these were Abraham's allies. The portion of the man of faith was outside the whole field of conflict. Lot, on the other hand, is already in Sodom, which results in his being carried captive in the captivity of Sodom. 
Hebron means company, suggesting fellowship, mature is bigger, eskol is cluster of grapes, and anna means waterfall. Do these names not speak to us of that spiritual vigor? And of that joy and freshness resulting from being in the presence of the Spirit, and of fellowship with saints? Surely the fact that the Spirit has mentioned these names specifically is sufficient warrant for the child of God to interpret them, not according to human expediency, but in perfect suitability with the whole tenor of Scripture. Abraham had no sympathy with the king of Sodom, his whole reason for engaging in battle was the deliverance of one who had fallen under the power of the world. Sir Abraham brings back Lot, the deliverance of the other captives being incidental. How good it is, beloved brethren, to have power to rescue one for whom Christ died, but this power is only with those who are on the line of Abraham. Do we not see this spirit greatly developed in the beloved Apostle Paul, not only in regard to individuals, but also in relation to whole assemblies? He speaks to those in Coloss of the great conflict he had for them, he saw them in danger of coming under the rudiments of the world, and he marshals all his divinely given powers for their deliverance. There were many assemblies in the province of Galatia, and the apostles saw them in grave danger of coming under the influence of another gospel. It was a deliberate attempt on the part of troublers among them to pervert the glad tidings of the Christ, and to bring them into bondage to the law, and thus to prevent them standing in the liberty wherewith Christ had made him free. As has been noted, this mighty man of God with irresistible divine energy brings all his accoutrements of war to bear upon the assailants of the truth to their discomfiture, and the eventual deliverance of the saints. But the moment of victory is a moment of specific danger to the saint, as Abraham is made to realize. Having returned victorious from the smiting of the kings, he is met by the king of Sodom with honors and gifts. But the one who had overcome the world in its hostile power is proof against all the seductive blandishments of a patronizing world. We have all to beware of the seductive proposals of an alien world. The ministrations of Melchizedek, king of Salem, in the valley of Sheba, the king's valley, had fortified Abraham, so that he was able to meet and overcome the alluring favors of the king of Sodom. And it is only as we remain in the king's valley, the low place, that we experience the priestly support of our true Melchizedek, the one who says, I am meek and lowly in heart. The spirit of meekness, lowliness and gentleness, the consciousness that all has been done by divine support, that is the spirit of the king's valley. And there it is we meet the king of peace, the king of righteousness, whose refreshment and blessing make us superior to all that this world would confer upon us. This Melchizedek, who meets Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, is a truly remarkable personage, spoken of as the priest of the Most High God. An unmistakable reference to that glorious day of Christ's manifested supremacy when, as true Melchizedek, he shall sit as priest and king upon his throne. How wonderfully apposite in this connection, when Christ shall be manifested as king of righteousness and king of peace, are the words of Isaiah, the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness. Quietness and assurance forever, and my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. This stringently typical scene, in which we have the first presentation of the royalty and priesthood of Christ, is explained to us in the epistle to the Hebrews. The words are remarkable for the way in which they bring out and insist on the perfection and accuracy of Scripture, in what it omits as well as in what it inserts. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days, nor end of life, are words which have been thought to show that this mysterious person was none other than Christ himself. But the words immediately following disproves this, made like unto the Son of God. 
Another has said, Melchizedek was in his characteristics assimilated to the Son of God, he is our High Priest. Not reckoned among the transient generations of an earthly priesthood, but subsisting in the power of an endless life. If we really taste the blessedness of these heavenly thing, the world has nothing by which it can attract us, no, not even to a shoe latchet. For us, this world is a wilderness wide, we have nothing to seek or to choose. May we crave to have hearts satisfied with Christ, to such an extent, that we may have, nothing to seek or to choose, save that which would deepen in our souls the sense of abiding satisfaction that is to be found in him, and him alone.